0: Now entering nerdist.com.
1: Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color only more so, liking the Writers Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up.
2: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in da, 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 tonight, da, or whenever da, da, the time da, is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh yeah!
1: Welcome. Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate it. What I'm going to do is go around starting here and have you introduce yourself on the microphone uh, so the listener can differentiate your voices. Mm-hmm. Tell people where they might have heard your name before or seen your name on their TV screens and welcome back.
0: Thank you. Tara Butters. I'm a writer and uh, have writing partner Michelle Fazekas and we've written a TV show called Reaper. Agent Carter, uh, we were on Law and Order SVU, and now we have a new show called Kevin Probably Saves the World.
3: Which used to be called The Gospel of <laughs> <laughs> Which premieres? That premieres October 3rd at 10 on Great. ABC. Tonight,
1: you guys. Yeah. Watch it tonight. Right. Uh, and it's really good. I was telling you guys before Thank we started you. rolling, like, it is... It's a thing. I feel like you're getting away with something on network TV because <laughs> it's really it's, charming and funny and, and dramatic. Like the, it has all the stuff.
3: I, I mean, I can tell you how I, I, you're not wrong in that we're getting away with something. It was such a late sale, mm-hmm. um, and so right. uh, we sold it on December sixth. So I think that's why it feels that way because <laughs> there it, was a time. It, it, there was no time <laughs> for people to rethink it. <laughs> oh,
1: this seems like great advice. <laughs>
3: So, yeah, I feel the same way, too. Although I feel, that, I feel like we got away with it on, even on Agent Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we were, they weren't quite – it's not that they weren't paying attention, but we were a mid-season, and we had Marvel. So, so we were just sort of doing the show we wanted, and I kind of feel the same way about Kevin, which is nice. That's, that's not bad, you guys. No.
1: All
4: right, I want to get into it yeah, more yeah. as we go through, but Billy. Uh, my name's Billy Ray. I've been uh, writing features since 1988. Uh, about to get my 30-year anniversary as a writer, and uh, just started in TV and am now doing the thing that is by far the most fun I've ever had in my life, mm-hmm. by far the best work and experience I've ever had in my life, which is uh, The Last Tycoon yeah, on versions. Amazon, which I'm co-running with uh, Chris Kaiser. Terrific. Uh, what, what is making it the best uh, creative experience for you? Well, first, it's Fitzgerald. And it's Hollywood 1936, and I have a lot to say about Hollywood because the Hollywood that we're living in today is exactly the same as the Hollywood 1936. So it's a great uh, opportunity to, to comment on that. But also, you know, screenplays have been very good to me, and I love them. But there's something about the forced economy of 110 pages versus, oh, I have five years to arc these characters. I found that when I was putting the Bible together for the show, I'd go in my office, it would be 8 o'clock in the morning, I'd look up, it would be 6 in the afternoon. I just didn't know where the day had gone. Wow. And that's, um, that's a rare experience. In writing and, and uh, then throw in incredible cast, incredible crew, um, and enough money to tell the story honorably. And um, it's just bliss. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison.
2: Um, hi. Um, I'm Allison Chapker, and uh, I've just come off working on Scandal for two years. Uh, and before that, I was working on Flash and Almost Human and Fringe and uh, I've kind of bounced around, I think, between a lot of the big TV camps. I feel like I get to yeah. look behind the curtain. You know, I've been at Bat Robot and Berlanti TV and Shondaland now. And uh, so I guess, yeah, before that, it, uh, I had a writing partner, Monica Breen. We worked on Brothers and Sisters, and we're running that for a while, and Alias. So I feel like I move back and forth between genre and mm-hmm. more family soap or... Family drama kind of stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about, because you have been part of these camps, as you say. Yeah. That's a a great way to think of it. And you've been like this amazing utility player since Alias or even before, probably. Yeah. Um, What are you... You must have learned everything
2: and from working of in these jobs. Like it is like I feel like I've had my had my own master class. Mm-hmm. You know, between everybody, yeah, and watching their different styles and how they how they run stuff. So let's let's
1: talk um, for a second about some of the early stuff. Like, what was the first sort of big room that you were in for a, a decent amount of time?
2: Oh, I would say probably, I guess, like, well, I started on Charmed, and that was Mm -hmm. sort of, I did three years there, and that was a really good show, because it was very, you got mentored there, and it was a great place where it wasn't sink or swim, like, it was very, you know, you really did get a chance to write your own script, and get notes, and every step of the process, everybody was kind of, who they got their hand held.
3: Brad Kern ran okay. that show. That really is very the Who the showrunner is, though, I think. I think that c- comes down, if the showrunner is yes. fostering that environment. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you feel supported and you feel like I'm not going to, if I make a mistake, if I have a bad pitch and 90% of my pitches are going to be bad just because. Yeah. But you're not going to feel... Bad about it. And that so I you credit, you credit that's a good showrunner. I agree and I feel like as as TV
2: has gotten more um, squeezed or you know mm-hmm. the staffs and, and and the time and the and the expectations have gotten higher and the time frames have gotten smaller and suddenly you know you're throwing writers together to work on scripts or you don't always get the benefit of you know 11 days to write a script and now here's your first round of notes and here's your second round of mm-hmm. notes and stuff like that. It's become very sink or swim and I do think for writers starting out that can be really hard if you're not coming in and able to just kind of jump into the fray. So I am always grateful uh, that that was the first show yeah, so because the alias was like, hit the <laughs> ground running people. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I should probably stop snapping my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes. So you yeah, are a snapper. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that's about.
1: She's just keeping us away. <laughs> let me ask you guys. I mean, this is a great point that, you know, Everybody wants this job now, right? Right. Like, there's so much more competition, I think, than there ever was to become even a low-level writer. Um, And so, how do you guys, as showrunners, as upper-level writers, help help nurture that those low-level writers? What are you doing in the rooms in which you're currently working?
3: You know, I'll reference a thing that I learned from the Disney Imagineers. Because I think they actually have a great way, and I learned a lot from it. So ABC organized for people to, some of their writers to go hang out for a weekend with the Imagineers and learn about how they sort of foster creativity and how they, because they, they're designing the rides. And designing a ride is like designing a movie. And it's a, you know, Indiana Jones is a $90 million ride. and But there really are acts to it. And the way they foster creativity is so interesting because it's, it's, you, you, if you, Some of us are very talkative and loud, and mm-hmm. I can pitch 50 things to you, and you can shoot it down, and I'll pitch something else, and that's fine. Some people, you, the first thing you shoot down, they won't talk again. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is um, creating an environment where people feel like they can pitch, and they can bad pitch, and maybe that'll get so, somebody else a, a good idea, um, and... There is a chemistry to a room. I think there is. Even somebody who is really good in one room might not match up with the mm-hmm. other writers. hundred percent. Oh, and and I, agree. I, and which is, and that you. Unfortunately, that's a trial and error thing. Sure. I, you don't know how people are going to be in a room together until they're together, and then you can very quickly tell. Who's gelling and who's not gelling? And it, it has nothing to do with talent sometimes. No. It really is about the makeup of,
0: you know, we've worked with different writers on different shows, and sometimes it's been a perfect fit, and sometimes mm-hmm. you go, this isn't the show for them, but I would work with them again. Right.
3: right. But for as sure. a young writer, I would say um, spend your first Week or two listening more than anything else. Um, not obviously sitting there super quiet, but I feel like try, trying to figure out, okay, what are the dynamics of this yeah. room? Um, figure don't, out how to read the room. Don't yeah. don't ha- make your, it, it's very, the easiest job to get in a writer's room is, I'm going to pick apart other people's pitches. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with your pitch. That's right. super easy to do. And that's another thing I learned from the Imagineers, where you have, if you can sort of tell the room okay right now we're doing only expansive thinking where it's just any idea goes up on the board. And then you say okay now we're going to start picking apart the ideas. But rooms kind of go in between those two modes and not always not everybody realizes oh we've now shifted to a different mode and that's where things start to people start to get upset or people start to shut down. And so that was a really interesting thing that the Imagineers do, that you announce what you're doing. <laughs> I think that's such a good point. And I also think you can
2: announce even what you're doing when you're making a comment. Like, mm-hmm. I like this idea, yes. but I'm kicking the tires on it. It's different than, well, you right. know what doesn't work about this idea? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. I, it's sort of like, it's sort of a, I'm of my am No, that's a mini way comment. to do that. I yeah, think that's great. <laughs> I think just sort of like keeping... Um, that sense of I'm contrib- I want to be constructive. It's so. like
3: here's what I like about this. Here's the thing that is I'm bumping against. Right. If and even better if you can have. But here's a pitch to maybe fix right. that. Right, And you're not always going to have that. But even then, I will announce, I don't have the fix for this, but here's the thing. yeah. But I
4: think from a showrunner's point of view, it has to do with the mindset that you walk in there with. You know, my son was just showing me something that he learned in school about the difference between a closed mindset and an open mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we walked into Tycoon, I had written the Bible for the show that laid out five seasons of the show. And I had written that Bible. It was kind of Talmudic It was 120 pages. But I had written it before we even pitched the show. So I go in there way ahead of anybody else in that room, including my partner, including Chris. If I go in there defending the Bible and trying to make their point of view sort of cleave to what's already created, they're going to be shut down. Sure. Yeah. If I go in there saying, these are sort of the big thoughts that I'm thinking about, make them better or attack them. Tell me what doesn't yes. work about them. And, and then I have to actually mean it. Where if they say, well, <laughs> we have a big question about this choice you've made. And I have to be able to say, okay, that's smart. Let's talk about sure. that. Let's make that better. Or let's throw that out. If they see that from the showrunner, then I think Let everybody knows the ego. Everybody knows they can just fire away. Yes. And then they feel free. And then they feel safe. And then you get the best work out of them. Yes.
0: The trick, though, is also when you're on that other side is to know when to let go of as a as a staff writer? When to let go and row with everybody else? That's yeah, yes. of course. I mean, because that I find is also one of the big mistakes that a lot of younger writers or even mid-level writers make, which is not knowing when. Okay, everybody else has got on the train. On the train is leaving. Yeah, because now I'm the Hit one loading everything <laughs> down. And that's
2: enough. that's good like, advice. The pitch good it
1: twice and then move either. on. I mean, do you want to repeat that? I'm sorry, I didn't oh,
2: no, to talk under you. No, know, I was just saying, I agree, absolutely. And there are these moments where you're like, okay, we've heard it, and you mm-hmm. pitched it once or you pitched it twice, or you know, and then at some point, if it's not shifted the room, so much as timing, too, by yeah. the way, yes, uh, maybe move on for now. It's like, yes. maybe get yeah. the sense, like, train's moving now. And if yeah. that bump you had is so important, or that pitch maybe we'll come back around right. to it, and there'll be the right moment it'll come back. Or What I find is that, at least story. in
4: my limited experience, I've only done a writer's room once, but what I found was that where that would happen would be someone has an idea for an absolutely great scene where the dynamics are so powerful and so out of nowhere, so unexpected, and you think, yeah, that'd be an amazing scene. But there's no way to build a bridge to that scene mm-hmm. based on the structure that you currently have. and And you can try to twist the episode or even a, an arc of a couple episodes into a pretzel to make that scene work, but then you have created so many other leaks that you're going to spend yeah. the rest of the day plugging, that's when it's tough to give up. When, and I find that particularly with the young writers if they have that golden scene that doesn't actually help anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And that's a certain the thing point, you have to give up.
3: That's where I, th- I think comes from experience, where it's like at a certain point you're like, mm, I love this scene, but we can't get there, so right. yeah, we have to, to, let to, to drop it. And, and that though, does help
4: when you have more experience, you sort of see what's a blind alley and what's yeah. not. Billy, yeah. I wanted to ask specifically, so you had been,
1: you sort of started out in TV and had done some TV stuff, but you've been in features for Yeah, you know, I mean,
4: the, the first thing I ever did uh, very, very early was um, a show that wound up being called Earth 2. Right. Where I was brought in to develop, a sh- uh, the idea was Wagon Train in Outer Space. Mm-hmm. And I developed it, and again, I wrote this monstrously long Bible. and then Wasn't the,
3: that also the idea for Star Trek?
4: Is right. it? Right. Oh, that's really interesting. Wasn't
3: that what that's how Gene Roddenberry pitched Uh, Star Trek?
4: (laughs) (laughs) So good job. We were being derivative. We didn't even know. So (laughs) I wrote the I wrote the Bible, (laughs) and then they I had no experience as a showrunner, so they were going to bring in showrunners, and um, so they brought in these three showrunners who said, "Okay, we will run the show, but we're writing the pilot." So I was paid off, and that was it. And I never walked. Oh, okay, uh, past so you were never even again. in the room. So that's no. that's actually so was what I'm ex- curious about. It was exclusively features. Yeah. Um, so so until, now all of a sudden
1: you're in Last Tycoon, yeah. and you're you know features. And we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but that's a, a solitary writing experience, yes. right? You're you're pretty autonomous. All of a sudden, you're thrown into a room with however many other writers. How big was your room on Tycoon?
4: I think there were um, there were five other writers in there.
1: All right, so it's, it's still small, but a pretty good size, Mm -hmm. Um, how was that adjustment for you, and were these things you're talking about, letting go of the ego and letting go of the
4: 120-page Bible, Mm -hmm. did these come easily for you? Was it a a struggle? What was it like? It's very easy. If you've made a living as a screenwriter, you know how to put (laughs) your ego aside. (laughs) Um, You never have the juice in the room. You never have the power in the room, And, and My approach to notes was always, all the way through my feature career, was I'm not a genius. I need help. This is the most collaborative medium in the Mm -hmm. world, and I'll take notes from anybody. So I don't care if the notes are from my producer or the studio or somebody's assistant. If they'll make the script better, nobody's served more by, by executing those notes than I am. So that was my mindset on every script I've ever worked on. And it just happened to dovetail very nicely with how things work inside a writer's room. Well, that's great. That's great. Um, Were
1: there challenges specific to the show that you didn't discover until coming to the writer's room?
4: Um, No, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is uh, Chris Kaiser, who's my partner who had run six shows before, um, he is extraordinary with material. I've never met anybody who's like this with material where he can... He can look at something with true satellite point of view, like the the big picture of something, and say, here's how this moment in this episode is not conspiring to help you tell that larger story. And so it wasn't that there was a new challenge in the room. It was that Chris's rigor, his discipline, to keep us thematically on track um, was just a great learning experience for me. If the conversation started to spiral to somewhere that may be really fun... But wasn't keeping us on that track. Chris would say, "Yeah, but what this episode's about is," mm-hmm. and then we'd be back on the track. Mm. Interesting. And there'd be a moment where I'd be pretty chagrined and think, "I should have said that." Like that—that's the sort of thing I think about all the time. And sure. Chris did it, and he did it twenty-five times <laughs> in that room. That's great. I mean, that's the kind of
1: partnership you hope he's, for in doing he's one of, a of gift. these things. Um, I want to talk to you guys, Tyra Michelle, about Kevin. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about Kevin. Yes. Um, hey. <laughs> Tell me about the room that you guys put together for this show, if you would.
0: Uh, we were very lucky to be able to get a couple of the writers we've worked with for. Some t- I mean, Chris Dingus we've worked with since. Since Ed. we were story
3: editors on Ed, which was in oh, wow. 2000. He, yeah. was a, he was the writer's assistant. He's also who we, we patterned sock after on Reaper. On Reaper.
0: <laughs> so we just, I mean. Uh, our
3: dogs are brothers. She's, he's <laughs> my godfather. son's godfather. So we've been it's friends like with him. Yeah. We hired him on Reaper. We hired him on Carter. We hired him on this show. Because he's, he's yeah. one of those writers who can kind of do anything. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He can do soap. He, okay. And, and I, I would literally put him on any show. And then Craig Gregorio, who we also worked with on Reaper. He just came off of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. He did that for a couple of years. Um, oh, and running yeah. at Workaholics and um, uh, God, he, he he has a lot of half hour experience but also hour experience which I love mm-hmm. as well. And
1: also it seems like comedy and yes. drama and horror and
4: all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So,
3: um, and then uh, By the
4: way if he's done Workaholics he's a hero to my children.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that show I cannot I watch that show and I'm like I can't believe I'm watching this on TV. Like what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Well, and Kevin Etten, who ran that show, was also on Reaper with us, and I mean, yeah, they exactly. just—they
0: were college roommates, Kevin and Craig. Yes. I mean, that—that's you can see so much of their voices in yes. that show, and I, I mean, I love it. But like, that—that's the thing is, our—we like things that go from comedy and drama and can go back and forth really quickly and so having writers like Craig and Chris are Mm -hmm. hugely important to us but then we have found new people yeah so
1: that this was really kind of the root of what I I wanted to get to was what were you reading what were you responding to how are you finding these new writers
3: um you know you're reading stuff I I often find I writers who I like like Dingus or Craig where I'll be like who do you know that we should read because uh, that's a really good way because it's like they know our tastes really well. Their, our tastes and their tastes are often line up. So mm-hmm. that's a very good way to say you should read this person. Then obviously agents will submit. And I t- sometimes depending on what we're um, staffing up for, we'll just say don't send us like a play. Because a play will tell me that you're good at dialogue, but that's um, – not necessarily going to be everything I'm looking for Um, or don't send me a cop show um, if I'm doing a show like that has a lot of comedy unless it's unless there's there's I mean we're we try and tell agents early on here's what we're looking for here's what the tone that we're looking for we like drama with comedy Um, but also did you Daba Vina who
0: is a mid-level writer that we hired on our staff this year we met with her the year before for Ava Sophia, which was a completely different um, light soap.
3: Yeah. Um, she we didn't write it. We were We didn't write it. it. We yeah. were
0: gonna um, run it and produce it. And had such a lovely meeting with her that when this got picked up, we're like, Dava, what's she up to? And I mean,
3: you can. Well, that's have- another thing too that we've now that when you're running your own show, it's like let's hire people who we want to hang out with for 12 hours. Yeah, or, that's because I don't <laughs> want. So we have this sort of no asshole policy, mm-hmm. which just makes no it drama. Nice. Yeah, and I, we try and have that like across the board, even in production. So if we hear this person on the crew is being a jerk well it's like well they need to go home and not come Mm -hmm. back because I just life is too short for that and it especially on a show like Kevin which is as Tara's favorite way to describe the show is like don't be an asshole that's the moral of the show because that's also like when I've done I've done like a comparative like it's not a religious show it's a spiritual show but you can draw from stuff that you know of religion I did like a comparative religion class in college and when you look at all religions from that You know, thirty thousand yard, whatever that saying is, you know, from far away. Um, (laughs) You realize, oh, the every religion is just don't be an asshole, Mm -hmm. Be, be be cool, okay. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right, many Thanks. ways to find
3: them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we sort of apply that, and, it, and it's just, that's what's sure. kind of nice. It's like, let's work with our friends, let's work with people that we like, we want to hang out with. Them. I
2: also think something you said, though, was really key, too. It's like, if you go for a job interview and you don't get it, there's this tendency to feel, I was yeah. rejected from this job. Right. But I I do feel like there are a lot of times, like, y- you can't hire that person because your need is different for this show, yeah. or but you love this person. But it doesn't mean the person interviewing is not going to remember, or for the next show, exactly. bring you. Back or so, or that's something to all because it's all when you're out there, sort of in your staffing interviews, mm-hmm. that those connections and those meetings are real.
0: Or your show didn't go, but like I, there are literally names on a list of people I met eight years ago that, when we have a show go, I check out what what yeah. are they up to because yes. that was a lovely because you also don't know what the money, like money game is exactly. Like, when they, I only can
3: afford this person here and this person here, So sometimes mm-hmm. you just it, it's it's just putting together your budget. So yeah, you know, half the time it doesn't mean that you were terrible. It's just that they did. They couldn't work it out, but they'll keep you in mind the next time.
4: You want to cast your crew as carefully as you cast your cast.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, I, I had such reverence for a number of shows that showed me how great TV could be, and one of them was Mad Men. I was just sort of blown away by what Mad Men was, and I was a little bit in touch with Matt Weiner. And so when we got our pilot greenlit, I said, who was your line producer? Mm -hmm. and he said Scott Hornbacher. So I got in touch with Scott Hornbacher, who had line produced every episode of Mad Men and had directed, I think, nine of them. So I met Scott, and I begged him to be our line producer. By that point, he was sort of on to directing his career and and didn't really want to line produce anymore. But we made a deal that if, if he would line produce the pilot, he could direct in season one, should we get a pickup. Great, great deal. So he comes in to line produce the pilot, and he brings in half of his Mad Men team. That's how I got Janie Bryant to do the costumes. Mm -hmm. That's how I got um, David Carpinara to be the music supervisor. That's how I got a million people on that crew. And all of a sudden, this group of people that know exactly how to do a show just start doing their jobs in this unbelievably efficient, brilliant, and artful way. And so instead of building the river... I'm letting them build the river and I'm just sort of sailing down. <laughs> and and uh, I was directing a pilot for the first time in my career yeah. and having that machinery in place that knew exactly what to do and knew how to work with one another was completely vital mm-hmm. for me. And it, it made that pilot so much easier. It made that story so much easier to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to pay attention to what people are and, and where they come from. And you have to be so careful in the way that you cast and, and it, cast crew members. And in that case, it saved us. Yeah.
1: Let, me, let me ask you guys, this is sort of a, a bigger question. And I think the way that Billy is describing putting together that crew is the way that most people do it, right? You sort of ask around, you go to people you've worked with before, you go to your friends and say, who have you worked with that's been great. How do we break in new people? Uh, I, yeah. whether they are writers or whether they are crew how do we put to, how do we give new people this opportunity
2: well there's also the thing we didn't talk about was the writers assistance mm-hmm. and the, uh, the production assistance and one thing that Shondaland does for example or i know bad robot too, and i, barely, mm-hmm. I mean the camps that can that have mm-hmm. bigger auspices behind yeah. them that have the ability to have a lots of people hired mm-hmm. on a regular basis and more than one show on the air Helps because yeah. then you can actually have a pool of people that you can shuffle around and keep on staff well, as openings yeah. come up. Those are great sort of camps to get in uh, uh, because you can stick around long enough until the job opening happens exactly. i think i think for shows that are one show <laughs> you staff up those you know your script coordinator and your writers assistant and your pa and then you hope you can move those people up yes. but that's then that's that's very
4: uh, someone a small has to leave. circle. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: And then and then once it's clogged up, it's clogged up. But the bigger sort of I feel like those camps on um, uh, they try I think often to pull people up from within. Yeah. So and I mean, by the way, sometimes the, the smaller camps are easier cuz you're more connecting with mm-hmm. the showrunner mm-hmm. and they're pulling people up quicker or you know, so but that's one thing we didn't talk about. But I think that your question though even beyond that is bigger like how do we because I agree there comes a sort of insularity to who's getting yeah. hired because it does become a who knows who and then you see it just like well why is it always the same people or why does everything tend to replicate it
4: you know though? there's another thing that is sort of self-selecting which we noticed on, on Tycoon which is a very specific thing it's 1936 and it's Hollywood between us when we were staffing up I think Chris and I probably read 60 scripts met 14 writers and hired 5 I think those numbers mm-hmm. are probably pretty common yeah Um, but what we noticed was of those 60 scripts, all of which were sent by agents, not a single African-American was suggested, not a single Latino was suggested (laughs) Mm -hmm. because somehow in, in the brains of those agents, 1936, Hollywood, it just sounds like a super white show. And so they don't think, oh, I have this African-American client who could write that. And so there's a certain self-selection to that process, which I don't think is healthy. It's certainly not, uh, varied. And from our point of view, if we wanted to hire, which we did, if we wanted to have people of color in the room, we had to go out and find them. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the agents yeah. were not submitting them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that writers need to be aware of.
0: I, honestly, it, you can't sit around and wait for your agent to do things. And I, we've been with the same agent forever. And I'm the son of an death. agent,
4: so I understand. <laughs> but
0: at the same time, our staff right now, like I said, Dava was from the year before, and we mm-hmm. just went and directly said, "Hey, is she available?" Um, Craig, Chris, Brandt, we had worked with. Basically, we staffed our show, and not that we we read over a hundred scripts ourselves, mm-hmm. but we were it, those even those people got their jobs. Because we went after them, right. not because they were being yeah. submitted. And the thing I um tell all my friends who are writers and who are lower level or what and who are you know, it's obviously hard when you're go on one show and it goes down and you have to go to another show. It is do not be afraid to ask your agent where I've been submitted.
4: Very where, important.
0: Where am I? And if there are shows that you like are you pushing, hey, did you submit me for this show? Right. It's something I'm really interested in, and here's the piece I think that would be the right piece to go because that's the other thing. I find I talked to someone and I said, well, you were submitted, but they sent me this, this hmm. script and they go, that's the absolute wrong script for that. <laughs> right. And you know, you do have to manage. And I don't know that I think there is a certain passivity to writers sometimes, mm-hmm. and they don't manage their own careers. Well, of the, of it's hard five, to know to I'm do sorry, that, I'm sorry, I yeah. to say, of the
4: five writers that we hired, one was an agent submission. Yeah. The other four, two were people that Chris knew mm-hmm. from previous shows. Uh, another was someone where I had asked the studio exec, who's the best young screenwriter you know? I mean, it, it was yeah. those kind of things that were most of our hires. Hmm.
1: I think, you know, but to your point, uh it's hard for a young writer to know that this is part mm-hmm. of his or her job, right. right? Is to manage your agent.
2: Well, especially as when you're well. so excited you have one. Right. Exactly. I know. You're like, yeah. Oh my God! It's you like, feel like the work God. is done. Also, and yeah. also, I'm an introvert. I want yeah. to be behind my computer. I hate selling things. Like, can you please take that yeah. part over? How oh, amazing! And then you like, oh no, like you so, got to be advocating and yeah. So hustling. let me let me ask
1: you guys in a practical way. Like, so much of this job is about not writing, right? <laughs> and so much about this job is about getting the uh, next job. What are the active things that writers can do when they have an agent, even when they have that killer sample or three killer samples? What what else can we be doing?
3: Well, I think one of the as you were saying, talk to your agent and 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 say, where have I been submitted? Can you submit to this show and and be more sort of actively involved? Don't assume that they're doing it. Um. And weirdly, uh, you said it's not about writing, but it's if, if you have been submitted in a lot of places and you're not getting any tra- traction, you have to write something else. Yeah. And I find and I know a lot of writers who are like, well, I'm not going to write. It's like, then you're not going to get a job. Or I just came up You have got to write something else. It, it, it's weird. I, I know that it's, I mean, it's always great to be paid for what you wrote, but... And even if you're staffed, if you're lucky enough to get staffed and... Um, a lot. It's you know. Shows don't always come back. Shows go down. You are probably gonna have to write something else. I mean, so so. It's don't stop. Writing samples, yeah. who no, don't. That really and you is get good better. Advice. You get everyone yeah. gets better, so it's Absolutely. not. And and everyone can and write samples that can sort of fit in different niches. I, I think, and also don't get stuck in the agents. Will always push you like, mm, you know, that's a
0: kind of a weird idea. So why don't you write something we can sell? Mm-hmm. No, and it's like you <laughs> want to know what though? What's gonna, what might sell to a network? may be absolutely uninteresting to anyone who's trying to staff you. And
2: mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. Yeah. and
4: You know, what writers always forget is this one opportunity you have as a writer, which no one else in the business has. Every other craft in the business, that person has to be paid, has to be allowed to do their job. <laughs> Someone has to let a director direct. Someone has to let an actor <laughs> act. Only a writer can go off in a corner for a month or two months, and completely reinvent himself or herself and write a sample that no one thought they could write. Mm -hmm. If you don't take advantage of that, you are not maximizing the one variable that you have that works to your advantage. So it makes no sense to me that writers are ever doing anything other than writing. If If you were a mechanic and you wanted to get better at being a mechanic... A mechanic. You wouldn't go to Starbucks for two hours and bitch with other mechanics <laughs> and wait for your muse to but land on your shoulder. You being a so hard. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't wait for your muse to land on your shoulder and say, fix the carburetor. Right. You would just go home and fix the fucking carburetor. <laughs> Did you ever see
3: that family guy where they do like one of those cutaways to two writers at Starbucks? You want to come to the Starbucks and watch me write? It's the only way that I'm really writing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I want to get specific on this, uh, Billy, because I think that's great advice and it really is the core of everything we're talking about here is like the thing you can do is write, right? You can make your career what you want it to be by putting, putting in the work and creating the material. Have you done, did you do this? When in your career did you say, I don't like the path I'm on, I'm going to do something new or even at the beginning did you say, here's the kind of thing I want to be writing and um, I'm going to ask this of all I, of you. I
4: read an interview that Patty Chayefsky had given and Chayefsky had won three Oscars for, uh, for Marty and the hospital and Network and he said, the advice I would give to young screenwriters is don't think of it as art. Think of it as work. Because if a writer is stuck, and he or she calls another writer in for help, that second writer doesn't show up and say, what's the art problem? <laughs> that second writer shows up and says, what's not working? And mm-hmm. they get under the hood and they fix it. And if you can approach your, uh, your day in that way, at the end of the day, you can say, I did my job today. Mm-hmm. And what Chayefsky said was, if you're an artist, it'll come out as art anyway. From the very And, and moment, there's something to be said for craftsmanship. Right. 95% of what we do is problem solving. Mm-hmm. We really are mechanics. I spend zero time during the day saying, oh, Billy, you son of a gun, you did it again. Like, never. <laughs> what I say is, that works, or that mm-hmm. doesn't, or how can I make that work more elegantly? I never, ever think of it in terms of, again, that idea that the muse has landed on my shoulder and breathed something into my ear. I just don't think of it <laughs> that way. It's, does this work? Or does it not? And if it doesn't, how are we going to fix it? And that's why I like notes. Mm -hmm. Because people are telling me when something's not working. So for me, from the beginning, I believed that I was not more talented than the people I was competing with. That there was one variable I could control, which was my willingness to work hard. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to out-hustle everybody. (laughs) I was just going to come into every meeting better prepared, more collegial, more open to notes, with less ego on the line, um, I was going to be the most professional writer that anybody had ever met in every meeting I went into. And I was going to treat every meeting as if it was an audition, even if it was, was someone I had worked for, with for three years. I was going to pretend it was the first time they had ever met me. And I've approached every meeting I've ever been in since. And that's just my particular approach to it. Um, there's a line that Monroe Starr says in, uh, in Tycoon. He says, I'm not talented enough to be unprepared. And that's how I feel. So I just have to be over-prepared. Yeah. There are people who are talented enough to be unprepared. I'm just not one of them.
1: But clearly, I mean, even early on, you were good at it. You were doing something that people were responding to. Was there a, a breakthrough script for you, something that maybe was an elevated
4: piece of craft? You know, you're, you're as a screenwriter, and it may be different in TV, I, I, I don't know the dynamic well enough, but in, as a screenwriter, you go up and down. For years, you're the flavor of the month when you are first sort of shot out of a can, and everyone gets the joy of discovering a new voice. And then you develop two things, and they don't get made, and all of a sudden, someone else is the flavor of the month. And you have to reinvent yourself again. And I did that for about 13 years and Mm -hmm. and had credits that completely embarrassed me to the point where, you know, I'd been making a living for 13 years. But if if someone were to say to me, just based on credits, do you think Billy Ray's a good writer? I'd say no. (laughs) None of the things I'd written that were interesting had been made. And the things that were my most sort of generic stuff had been made. Um, it changed with one movie, which was the first time I ever wrote and directed, which a little teeny movie called Shattered Glass. Mm-hmm. But it was finally something I could stand behind and say, this is what I'm capable of doing. And it, and it changed my career 100%. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What was once, it about you, that? Well, first of all, the, the, the industry liked it, which was a big deal. But sure. the biggest thing is, once you're in the directing club, they treat you differently as a writer. They just flat out do. Even if on the next movie you're just the writer, somehow you've had the special sauce you've directed, and they just fuck with you a little bit less.
3: Hmm.
4: Did your writing change at all after directing? Yeah, it gets more spare. Oh, interesting. When did you think of yourself as the dummy who has to go shoot it? <laughs> you want less pages. <laughs> That's just a fact. That's great. Um, Allison,
1: let's talk about you with that, you know, writing the thing you want to write. You've been working on other people's shows for a yeah, long time, and I'm yeah. sure you've been out pitching and you've developed over the years, but sure. tell me about writing the thing that you wanted to write, especially early on in your career. And no, it's did that interesting. Do and I have two you? minds
2: listening to this conversation. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like from a successful place, you're like, yes, be excellent, keep writing, <laughs> do stuff, and be good, and I think that is absolutely, that's what you can control, and so that is the best advice on the one hand on the other hand and I feel like as a sort of person who hasn't yet had that show come out right which I like you know hope this is the season you know every year you're like I want to be in that club where I get to pull people up who I know what I've actually witnessed is a lot of young writers of various talent levels, but, like, let's say, like, but a lot of writers who have I said, like, you have everything that, like, Monica and I had when we started out. Like, you are super talented. Like, you've got the personality. Like, you're just waiting for your opportunity. And I would love to, from the sidelines, be able to give it to you. But I can't do anything other than passing your script here or talking you up there because I'm not in a position to be the one hiring somebody. And... I am watching people hustle and knock on doors. And, you know, you'd like to say, okay, Kareem will rise to the top eventually and all that stuff. And But on some level, you're like, I don't know. Because then you look structurally across the top and you're like, well, who's getting to make the hires? Mm-hmm. And if it's always sort of a disproportionately the same people getting to make those hires... They're pulling up people they trust, they know, they want to see Mm -hmm. in the room. And, you know, and I'm watching these people who don't have those friends, I I don't know if I'm making sense, but I do think when you're looking at the inequality or sort of the uh, sort of on a structural level, not on a personal level, but sort of Mm -hmm. like, how do the writer's rooms keep looking? Like, how are there so many white guys? Or how many, you know, how is this (laughs) happening? You're like, well, it's happening because um, it's replicating itself on a level. Like, we're all trying to change it, but...
3: So, so those young writers, I obviously keep trying, keep, con- all all this is I, perfect advice. I got advice. really good advice, weirdly, from my <coughs> grandfather right before I moved to L.A., and everyone thought I was crazy because I was, like, 22, and I'm like, I'm going to be a writer. It'll be great. And I was in Buffalo, New York, and no one I knew was doing it. It was, it was crazy, except my grandfather, who had been a professional baseball player, was the only one that's like, yeah, you should do that. Here's the advice. Set a goal for yourself and t- and set a time frame. Limit. And if you get to the end of that time frame it, and you haven't achieved your goal, it doesn't mean you should give up, but it means you have to change what you're doing. Hmm. Um, which I thought was such good advice. That because, is good advice. Uh, yeah, and, and it made so much sense to me. So I did that. I, I beat my goal, but it was like, I, th- I think that's a good thing to say to younger writers. Is like If you've been at it for a long time and you're doing all the things you should be doing and it's not happening... Look at what you change. What you're doing, make a big change to what you're doing. Smart, and yeah. It's even
0: hard because to your point of like, I mean, we've now been at a point on several shows where we've had the opportunity to be the person hiring the staffs, mm-hmm. and it's. We've Sometimes it's worked where we were able to finally hire one of our assistants and bring her up, and now she's a co-producer, and she's been working on other people's shows, and she's mm-hmm. doing great. Um, there, Someone else has worked with us for a long period of time, and he he left, and then we brought him back, and I finally got him a job on a show working for my husband. <laughs> I mean, right. like it's one of those right. things where I finally got him staffed, yeah. And it was like, yeah, oh, I did, yes. you know, because it's it's he's so talented and so good. But mm. like, it took. He, we've known him for ten years, yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing is, it's it is, and always I'm always jealous. Of this.
3: He did. He changed his yes, life. He
0: changed how he, he changed done. what
3: yeah. his. He had like major life changes, but like. He was doing the same thing for a while, and then was like, "You know what? This is dumb. I'm going to do something else." And that's when the changes start happening. So, I, I it seems sort of like Pollyanna. Well, um, but
1: he he and we don't we can get into some specifics. Yeah, yeah. I think without telling his story for yeah. him, but he did something else. In what way?
3: He had sort of quit and was sort of not doing anything, and then really. Uh, he came out Um, (laughs) I mean but I think that was like it was a it was a shift in everything Mm -hmm. sure Um, and I think in a weird way that had been holding him back in a lot of other ways and his world opened up and Mm -hmm. he opened up
0: and uh, the thing is he's so talented uh I We wanted to hire him on Kevin, and my husband wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, but he's ours know. first.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's spoken for. <laughs> you know something? It, for me, it goes back to something you said, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, about what showrunners are looking for when they're reading a script yeah. to someone that they've never met for. They have no idea yeah. what the person's going to be like in the room. I can tell you, at least for me, and it sounds like it was the same thing okay. for you, I'm just looking for a voice. yeah. That's all it is. Just a like a singular voice. I don't need them to tell me the entire story on page one. I don't need them to give me some insane action sequence on page one. Just a point of view that interests me. Characters. And it can have to do with the way they describe characters. It can have to do with it could have to do with dialogue. It could have to do with the way they paint a picture. Just a voice that Stand sounds out. like someone else. And for me, it's exactly the thing you were saying about if if the agent sends me something that's Super formulaic, it's almost impossible for that voice mm-hmm. to poke through. and it's a major disservice to the client.
0: How do you stand the the key is how do you stand out? How do you stand mm-hmm. out in a crowd of a hundred scripts It's not writing a procedural nope. for the most part. I mean, like it's how do you how are you memorable? And the funny thing is there's been one lines that someone because right now we have this little pod, and we have a um a Robert who kind of runs the um, development of our company and everything and he'll occasionally come in and go, I'm, I'm reading the script and the script, and he'll just give us the one line. I'm like, oh, I would read that script. Right. And it was just because it was a clever idea. It would never get made. There's no way that script would ever be sold even. Yeah, you hear but that. I heard, you hear the one line, you go, oh, I totally would spend 40 minutes reading that script. Right. and uh, Because also people need to remember you probably have 15 To 20 pages, pages. if you're lucky.
4: With me, you have six, but (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Okay, so here's a question for the room. If there's a writer who's good enough to meet, but you're not totally sold, okay, how many times in the meeting has that writer so impressed you, so dazzled you, that they got themselves the job, or... If there's a script that's really good, how many times has the meeting gone so badly that you've said,
0: "I just don't <laughs> want to be working with that, that writer"? Wow, in Spectacular
3: really? fashion. I'm not, I'm that, and that's only happened once to me because mm-hmm. I think you can win me over in a room. If I'm like, your writing's pretty good, mm-hmm. but if if I like your energy and I'm and if you if um you can win me over, in you're and you're not rooting about, against anyone, yeah, you want
1: to like somebody. We
3: were, and I won't mention names. But we were <laughs> we were meeting with a writer who was going to be like an upper level writer, been around for a long. time. Time and um, it was on a show we were running. It wasn't the show. It wasn't we our show. Um, <laughs> it was Very. He comes in. <laughs> he basically has the job. He had all he has to do <laughs> is right. be a human being, wear for, pants tr- for yes, talk like a person, right. <laughs> He here's what he did. He he was talking about the show that he was on and starts shitting on the entire writing staff. Death. Yeah. and how they don't do anything and I have to do all the things. And I really wish that I could be a writer that you just send me the set. It's like, I don't need you in the goddamn set. I need you in the writer's room. So he walks out, and I'm like, I've never seen someone lose a job that they had walking in the room. So huh. that's not even like an advice thing like I think most people are like yeah don't do that everyone knows don't do that (laughs) so I don't know what that was that was in the sand I'm like maybe he didn't want the job but
4: one thing you you would want to make sure that all young writers know and of course they're not young I just mean writers who don't have the gig yet um, know that when you're walking into that room the people you're about to be sitting across want to love you. Mm-hmm. They want to hire you. In other words, the purpose of dating is so you can stop dating. Mm-hmm. Yes, you don't want to keep doing it forever, right? Yep. The purpose of casting is so you can cast that part. so You can stop casting. You, I want to love every writer who walks through the door. I want to so I can stop.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And and you should you should walk into that room with a little bit of a, a wind at your back. Like you you should walk in there as if it's going to go well because the person you're meeting with wants it to go yes. well. I And one thing I did find. The one writer where that kind of happened to me, and it wasn't that she said anything that was terrible. It was that she didn't listen. She yeah, was yep. so busy selling yep. that no matter what question we asked of Doesn't her, matter. she didn't actually answer it. Because Got she on never my knew. agenda. She Got never knew agenda. that it had happened. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of like talking to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know what I mean? <laughs> it had that quality. And she was, she was not answering the question you asked. She was answering the question she hoped you had asked. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was not going to be a good person yeah. in the room. Yeah. But That was the only time it happened. No, that's to us. that's a
3: very I, good alarm.
1: Yeah. yeah, and that's great advice for someone going in to Listen. have that interview. Is absolutely be in a, be a human, be in the conversation. Yeah.
3: It's not like one of those corporate job interviews where it's like, "What do you think your greatest weakness right. is?" It's like <laughs> mostly it's like chit chatting and yeah. like getting to know the person. There's very little. I don't want a writer to come in and pitch to me. Mm-hmm. No, um, no. I, it, it's don't mostly, come in with
0: ideas because I don't want. I I, I want to know that you in, are
3: engaged by the material.
4: Yeah, right. And and what engagement? And, and I know some field. people,
3: I know writers who have been asked, well, what, do you have any pitches? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I find that a slightly unfair question, A, to ask somebody. And I also, I don't want to accidentally or subliminally steal your idea. Right. And it's right. borderline, would, it's borderline yeah. illegal, by the yeah. way. Like, yeah. Guild
4: rules really prohibit that. Yeah, category. I
3: don't like that anyway. So, um, But, like, I, it's really, that is the date. You're, you mm-hmm. read
0: a script, yep. mm-hmm. the app, and then you go yeah. and you sit on the thing, <laughs> and you're... Gonna, you want to just feel is this someone who, like, a I don't know how long it took them to write the script that I read, mm-hmm. you know, they could have read it and wrote it in a week, they could have taken a year to write it, mm-hmm. right? And so, even that is just sort of like you kind of try to just take it at face value was it, there was something interesting in it enough for me to sit down with you? Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm gonna try to see can I spend time with you?
4: Mm-hmm. I, for me. If they're coming in on a staff and, and they've seen the pilot, right? I loved it when people came in and said, I'm so interested in where this character goes. Mm-hmm. And they ask me, what do you have planned for that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if they say, particularly on our show, since it was such an emphasis for us to talk about what the world was like for women in the 30s and mm-hmm. the same way that Mad Men did in the 60s, when someone came in and said... I really want to talk about where these female it is, characters yeah. go. That it is really a nice interests. Energy. Me. Like I,
3: I, we sat down with somebody. Was like, oh my god, I have so many questions. Right, yes, <laughs> yes. That's a great.
4: Yes. I agree. Yeah, because you it, want them it, to be yeah. a fan of the show. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah I think I, you mean don't pitch, but ep-
2: don't pitch me an yes, episode right. idea. Exactly. I don't think yeah. you mean don't right. come in and talk <clears throat> to me about, about themes of the show. No. or no, but or don't or possibilities say, yeah. for characters or what excites you about the idea of writing for it. I think you want to do all those things. Yes, it's the discussion you know permits. Yeah, it's just not a
1: pitch. Yeah, yeah. And you. You, you've been on the other side of this yeah, uh, more I've, recently than a yes, lot of these guys, yeah. so. You've also. I been mean, in I play a lot of a lot. mental tricks
2: because I'm actually yeah. like a shy person, but I I've sort of I fake really well that I'm not. <laughs> and so like Which I, I, I literally have the entire to do. population. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's I at least fifty percent of them. Of them. <laughs> Super confident. I mean, that's like, the guild. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there <you> have like, <laughs> it. I think I think like for for, the, for people who are who are extroverts, that must be. I don't know what that must be like. <laughs> They're not writers. but I. Yeah, exactly. Then again, I I don't know. I like my pajamas too. Right. So like, but. I think that I literally... I don't know what's going to be but I, I pretend I'm friends with the person you know what I mean like I walk in and I li- I, I'm i just trying to be unafraid yeah. Yeah. and I feel like no but matter I think it's how good big it is the person that you're mindset. meeting yeah and then even when you're meeting somebody who you would have every reason as a fan or as somebody you admire to be sort of a little intimidated by or worry, like I just really you know there's no room you walk into that you don't belong there that's what I like I just try and like get in that headspace, and I'm like you're walking in because something you did got you there Right. Mm-hmm. whether it's your yep. material someone read or someone you knew remembered you enough or, or took time out of their day or said the right thing about you that someone opened that door mm-hmm. so when you walk in like it, it's what everyone would say like don't waste don't waste it be and be normal you know what I mean like you be know normal. Like, you know exactly like try like you know but I think that's a engage good mindset. people like, yeah your friends yeah. yeah just like it's like you're setting down you're sitting down with people and then you know
4: there's one other thing which may be a horrible thing to say <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I was meeting these writers, I was very mindful of the fact that anyone sitting across from me is likely to be rewritten by me at mm-hmm. some point. And so I'm also gauging is this the kind of personality type that can take hmm. that in a collegial way or am I going to have a war with this person if I eventually take over their script? <clears> and I, I was mindful of that. I don't know if you guys ever How that How were you right? able to gauge that? Um, you just get a sense from people that their ego's in the room or it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they're defensive.
2: How
3: do they do? Or they're not. Writing?
4: Again, if someone comes in and starts trashing other people on staffs <laughs> yeah. they've worked on. That is not someone who is going to take it but well. Like, Thank if I you say, for
3: showing me your real face now, because sure. I don't. I, By the way, I, just so you know,
4: <laughs> on that teeny movie on Shattered Glass, um, there was one point where. Uh, after we had shot the movie, we were looking for a composer, and a composer who had won several Oscars came in to meet with us and wanted the job, and within a half hour had trashed every director he had worked with. Yeah. And I didn't hire this guy, because I just oh, know yeah. six months from now he's going to be trashing me. Yeah. And that didn't sound good. Um, people, uh, what is it, is it the Maya Angelou line? People will tell you who they are if you're yeah. willing so, to listen. Yes,
2: yeah. they will. if people show you who they are, believe them. Yes. That's, that's, yeah. what yes. it is.
4: that's right, Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah.
2: No, I think that's really true, and I think everybody imagines they're going to be a perfect showrunner until they are a showrunner. So the room is a sort of weirdly dangerous place until yep. you do it. So you have all these writers potentially who haven't showrun, or you have your number two who has or hasn't, and I always feel like the number two or the upper-level writers you really depend on to keep the tone in a in a constructive place because because I feel like they that person and, and what I feel like I've been able to do it, is – Remind people that like no 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 show running's really hard. You don't know what they're doing because they're not here, right. and uh, and so let's not get into that habit of now we're gonna like just trash or how we would be doing everything so much better if we were just in charge. You know because right. I feel like I feel like with every title I mean the sort of whatever to whatever degree the hierarchy is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's because people are going to, they'll defend their decisions when mm-hmm. they're going to have to defend them to people higher up. And right now, you're just defending it to them, so let's <laughs> focus on is, this part. Right.
0: Even if you're a showrunner, the, the thing everybody has to remember, we always answer to somebody else.
2: That's how I feel. All, yeah. sure. the studio, all I do all the day network. long That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that's it was this the ultimate yeah. top of the mountain, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like when I got there, no, I was like, oh no, shit. <laughs> no. show,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, there was one year where we ran two shows on top mm-hmm. of each each other, and they were half. there were there were like ten episode were orders, shorter, but, but still doing twenty on top of each other. We did Resurrection, Agent Carter, and we had a producing director, Chris Masiano, who I love, and he was doing Resurrection with us. And he had asked to sit in on the cut notes. Well, of course, you can sit on anything. And you know, we got the notes, and he was like, and they were like, oh, by, by the normal. way, they they were they were
3: like a. It's like, oh, that was a great, great notes call. call. Like those, those are all actionable notes. And he, he was, was like. like do You guys do this every. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, okay, <laughs> hey, thank you. And then, yeah. I, then
0: I reminded him. I go, I, we're doing this on two shows. All I do is hear people telling me what they're what What's they what I did it. wrong. Yeah, I mean,
2: it was it's brutal. You have something. to learn how to manage
4: that. But again, coming from screenwriting, you are used to that. So yeah. You get a ton of that. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. And this will be totally revealing of me in a completely unappealing <laughs> I love
3: way.
4: Love it. That's there was one time in the writers room and I we loved our room. It was a great room. But there was one time where I actually had to leave for an hour. Yeah. And of course I was afraid it would go badly while I was gone, but I was slightly afraid it would go well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Did Here's you ever experience I that on, on Reaper? Our first show that we ran was Reaper. And what I now love is if somebody can write a character better than me because i' learned learn from them i don 't yet um, here 's the thing, I, and I think that 's a sort of a letting go of evil thing if, if i I love how like Craig DiGregorio uh, on Reaper would write this character and Etten, too, and it 's like oh my god that 's so funny, and but I feel like i I learn from that, I feel like i 'm constantly like adding to my skill set mm-hmm. and putting tools in my toolbox. I want that. Do if I I my goal is to not have to re- rewrite every script. If I can just do a very little pass on certain things, my life is great. And so that's how I, I, I my goal is. Like I, I don't feel like I have to take over everybody's script. And at the first year show, you do because it's the voice and it's you and, and you're, you're trying everybody. to teach everybody how to write it. So yes, it has to happen. And- but the goal is. Not doing that.
0: The thing I find also with some writing staffs is when, and look, we try to be in the room as much as possible. One of us. The nice thing is us being a team; we can't yeah. split
3: up, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of showrunners who will bail and, and are in and editing editing come back and time. are pissed because well, the room's not giving me what I want. It's like, well, they don't know what you right, want because they didn't yeah. read your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so but uh, you
2: didn't hire that. a bunch of psychics, right? <laughs> you to put in the time. And I've heard that some show you know showrunners are really respect. And I mean, I hope you know. Something that Monica and I did when we were running Brothers and Sisters—it's like if you're not working with your writers and sort of communicating what it is that does, yes. sort of make the cut in terms of what you want or what you're looking for, then you can't be resentful when you get something that doesn't match your ear or mm-hmm. your tone mm-hmm. or, or your vision for what. And to your characters are. question though, like if it goes
0: really well when you're not in the room. I, the, Thankfully it didn't. <laughs> I, I find that there are times, when, yes, times like when we're out of the room all of a sudden, they will at the very least they will move forward to have something, mm-hmm. to to present. And And that's when I, I can tell when certain writers are feel more comfortable pitching without us and then kind of trying to figure out how to encourage them to go, no, no, everything you did here, this is all great. This is all moving in the right direction. I have thoughts, mm-hmm. but the fact is what you did was you you guys moved the ball, and I appreciate that. I want you guys to feel this way like <laughs> when we're here yeah. too, and it's kind of just trying to – because everyone is afraid of being turned down, and mm-hmm. so it is, again, c- trying to constantly foster
3: that, uh, that I also I love in a room, like when you're building a room, We had, uh, on Resurrection there was a writer who – he would always pitch the wackiest ideas, but I love that. Like, Because they weren't so wacky, like, and then they go mm-hmm. to the moon. But it was, <laughs> it was like, they were so out of the box, and even if we didn't go all the way there, mm-hmm. it would be like, it would sort of break you out of a rut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's Absolutely. such a yeah. value to me. So, And and that would sometimes happen when we were in the room. So it's like, okay, even if we don't do that, it has given me sort of a creative playground here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What I want to ask, uh, and then we'll start to wrap up. But what techniques have you guys learned from working with other people to help you paint the target clearly for your staffs, or have it painted clearly, or you know, in the past, had it painted clearly for you?
0: Uh, we were lucky enough very early in our career to work with Neil Baer on SVU, and and Ted Kaczynski. By the
3: way, he was our <laughs> producing director. Love Ted Koshy. He was in Shattered Glass as an actor, mm-hmm.
0: and. You know, Neil really kind of brought the John Wells style mm-hmm. of kind of um, just writer is where it starts, and you produce your own episode, and uh, we learned so much. We've tried to foster that with our writers. We send our writers to set. They are in. We bring them into editing.
3: Our whole thing is if you're on our show, you're going to learn how to be a producer because we learned how to be a producer. That's what
2: I got, yeah. too, and I think that is so crucial. And, and that it makes you a better people. writer.
3: It does. I want the even if you're a brand new writer or have no experience. What we did on Carter was really great we we would take a like a, if it was a lower level writer we would pair them up with an upper level writer. Guide them through um prep. It was easier cuz Carter shot here. When you're out of town it's a lot harder. Um And then they would guide them through sitting on a set. Here's how, because a lot of writers don't know how to be on a set. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to, it's like, don't talk. What you're supposed to do is not talk directly to the actors, talk to the director. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And don't have a note every take. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, And and then we bring them into editing. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not going to be sitting there alone with the editors like watch how we do mm-hmm. it. Um, and so by the end of it, so like, you're going to know how to be a, pro- a producer by the end of this. And I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening.
2: No, it mm-hmm. doesn't happen in the same way anymore, I, or at least it's rare It's mm-hmm. more, it, mm-hmm. put it, or maybe it was always rare. I don't no, know, I, but I think it's I becoming do think that that is something. And then people say, "Where are all the upper level writers who can produce?" Yeah. and you're like, "Well, the system used to accommodate." For that, you know, and that is And I'm not
3: doing it out of altruism. I'm doing it because it makes my life easier. (laughs) I don't need
2: to do all the things. (laughs) If you've had
3: a
0: writer who sat on set, and you're sitting there and editing, because I know one thing I don't get to do necessarily on a network schedule is to scroll through the dailies every day. And so you go, I always thought we were going to hit this moment. Did we ever get that? And that writer goes, yeah, we did, but it was late, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it was on take eight. And, you know, so all of a sudden I have a a person who can, who's not the editor, and not that the editor doesn't know that, but, like, the they've been sitting in the writer's room the entire time. They knew what we were saying and why certain things were important. hmm And, you know, the director in TV right now, especially network television, the directors are, are guns for hire. They come in, you know, they, they come in for prep and they're out the door and maybe they come and do two or three days on their cut and then leave. hmm And so the writers are who are... Protecting the show.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's, right. that's a great point. Um, let's wrap up, uh, but first, let's make sure we get our plugs. Uh, Kevin probably saves the world. Yes. yes. October third tonight. Uh, yeah. People
4: should check it ABC, out. ABC, ten o'clock. Great. Uh, Last Taikun we is launched on, right? on July twenty eighth. Yep. And uh, we're now waiting to hear if we get season two. So we're. In How that. are you feeling? Um. Well, in terms of the way people are responding to the show, I feel great. Yeah. For um. Sure. Amazon has all of these different metrics that have to do with their particular business model that they don't share with us. And we'll never know how Hmm. we're doing on those. Which
1: I mean in many ways has to be freeing, right? There's nothing you can do about it. You just oh, make no, the best terrible. show you can do. <laughs> no,
4: fucking horrible. Um, well, for example, I'm trying to help you though. <laughs> no, for example, we know on customer reviews we're doing great.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, which is very very gratifying. But they have a thing at Amazon which is called completion rate. Completion rate means if someone starts the show, do they finish the last episode like within 2 weeks? You oh, know, right. do they binge, right? Right. And, and you don't get to see those. I numbers. will never be that's allowed so to see those numbers. But I have the opposite, which is, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, "My wife and I love your show. We watch it on Sunday nights." And I just say, "No, <laughs> don't watch it on Sunday nights. Watch it all
2: at once. <laughs> just take nine hours is and watch the whole." Th- what they care about completion banking? rate is it, that it's the a big thing. Yeah. That's a thing for it, them. It's a major thing, thing. And what we have to. found
4: is that. And this is going to sound self-aggrandizing. I don't mean it to. But people come up to us and say, we don't want the show to be over in nine hours. We sort of want to savor it. We want it to yeah. feel like a meal where you can wait a little while before you yeah. have the next meal. And that may hurt us in terms yeah. of the metrics that matter to Amazon. I just won't know. Right. I'm so curious. we'll find out. Uh, I know they have to tell us right. by October because October is when we have our actor deals Ah, sure. <laughs> so they, if they want to keep our actors, which they do, uh, they will have to let us know by October.
1: Did you know about this metric going in, and do you no. design? So you didn't design the show to be
4: binged necessarily. No, but we had a pretty good hint about it because uh, consistently on every episode, one of the notes we got, both at story call, treatment, script, and cut level, was we want to make sure there's that thing at the end that makes them watch the next episode. Oh wow!
1: Interesting. So that
4: that note. It never failed to appear. Right, that's really interesting. Unless we had designed, and we did. Unless we had designed an episode that was just strictly cliffhangery,
2: mm-hmm.
4: so that we, we right. just anticipated the note. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah.
2: so funny because I feel like network has moved in the opposite direction yeah. in some ways, where they're like, we want it to be standalone, less cliffhanger, less serialized, less.
1: Which I'm curious about and I promise we'll get you out of here in a second, but I'm curious about that on Scandal, which is so highly serialized yes, and yes, so cliffhanger. Exactly. Yeah, and like, you
2: need that, yeah.
1: Was that a note that you guys got? Was like, tie this up a little
2: prettier? Hmm. Well, you know, I think in what was amazing about working with Jonathan is like I feel like she had the stature mm-hmm. to actually <laughs> ignore notes,
3: yeah. <laughs> which is uh, so that was rare. Like, that was it? what it was like on SVU too. Like, well, you're on an, a Dick Wolf show where it's like the notes were kind of optional. Like, I guess we'll listen to the notes. And it was. It's a very and the same thing. We were Tarm and I met as assistants at the X Files. I don't ever remember notes calls.
2: Oh,
0: I I was present for a couple of them, like in the like that first year that I was there. Yeah,
3: but it was it was they were such a hit by the time yeah. we were sure. on the show that it was like yeah. mm, maybe we'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have certainly heard of lab, yeah. other
2: instances where actually people are being even told to change their whole pilots mm-hmm. that were going to lay out in sort of slower or more serialized way into sort of mm-hmm. a more standalone thing of the week kind mm-hmm. of a way just because it be easier to sell. Yeah, exactly.
1: and I think that's I think that's going over to. Like non-pay cable too. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I've heard it a bit in pitching.
3: Suddenly, anyway, this is
2: a whole
1: other conversation. We have a whole other. Well, hour I'm going to plug Kevin. Stuff. Probably yes. saves the world
3: tonight. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so very excited good. to see it. Thank you very much.
1: Um, let's just wrap up by asking you what you guys are watching on television these days. Uh, what's getting you excited or inspired? Or movies or books or anything you want to recommend to people that you think is worthwhile? And Billy, let's start with you. Um,
4: I I hate to say it. It's Rachel Maddow.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I. I I, I'm watching a meltdown that's so spectacular, uh, and I, I I need someone to give it some context and to frame it for me. And, and um, yeah. I find I'm watching <clears throat> MSNBC like three to four hours a night. <laughs> so I know that's bad for yeah. our business. No. But, but this is such a yeah. unique point uh, in American history. That's When I'm not writing, that's almost all I have the brain space for. Yeah. No it's if
1: there weren't baseball the only the MSNBC <laughs> thing would be burned into my TV screen That's bad.
3: it's bad really I'm going bad. the opposite where I'm like I I I read news on my phone but I'm like I can't have it all day long cuz I feel like it just sort of weighs on you I have young kids so my I have very weird tele, like there's a new show on, on Cartoon Network called OKKO. Okay, Let's be heroes. Mm-hmm. I, but, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I love this show. It's adorable and it's actually so positive and funny and bizarre That's and funny. weird. But it's and the and the animation is great. And I also got super into the Leah Remini Scientology. I was obsessed <laughs> with it so. It's hard much. not to. Make. I and Stranger Things, of course. Like that was having young kids. It's hard to binge stuff because you're like, I yeah. can't. Who has nine hours? No, right. I have maybe one, um, sure. and but we got real into Stranger Things, so that was the first one where I like, do we stay up and watch two in a row? <laughs> maybe we do. Nice. <laughs> That's great.
0: No, my daughter is hugely into Stranger Things to the point where she, like. She's a little bit of a stalker? Well,
2: I'm not not allowed to say that anymore. (laughs)
0: Okay, I'm sorry. Um, But the fact is, like, she was like, "Uh, do you need to go to Atlanta next week? And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) And and I'm like, I promise I will take you. And we we have a friend who works on the show. And so I'm like, we will get you there. I promise. But, like. uh, How old is she? She's 12.
3: Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> right.
0: You know, Millie Bobby Brown. It's yep. all about her, and Absolutely. so Stranger Things, and then, um, gosh, I, Game of Thrones. Of course. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm, I'm you excited. Can admit to, it. I'm excited to see tonight's <laughs> episode uh, or tomorrow night's episode, and then I guess you know I've been. I, I actually am super excited to watch your show because I've I've been binging a bunch of old Hollywood uh, podcasts. Mm. Uh, um, Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to actually start watching that. What podcasts
1: have you been listening to? You must remember this. Clearly.
0: And I was just actually listening to the uh, Carol Landis one in the car Mm -hmm. last night. And so, like, I love old Hollywood. I mean, that was the whole thing that was fun for Agent Carter for us because it was in that little later period, Mm -hmm. but still. Um, so I'm excited. I'm going to check your time. Thank out. you. Great. Look,
1: we one bit person binging already. There we go. I know. <laughs> Amazon will be so happy. Alison, uh, what are you watching?
2: Actually, it's funny. I've been watching a lot of foreign formats because I'm looking uh-huh. at developing oh, stuff. So it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm watching this Croatian show. Oh, um, <laughs> Anything
1: you want to recommend? that uh, We I, might not have.
2: I don't know. There's this Croatian show called Novine, the paper, which I think is uh, really um, great. Uh, let's see. I watched. Um, but I also am watching a lot of obvious news, and then I do need to watch comedy. And I will say, like, Insecure, I think, is mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Atlanta blew my mind this year. Um, I'm catching up in Broad City.
0: Oh, Broad it, City, I, incredible.
2: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's like, I. but I do find with drama, I do, and I don't binge watch a lot of the time because... If, I start looking at it from a work perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. as I keep going and I'm looking, I'm watching with the subtitles on and I'm seeing how Mm -hmm. they're pacing and and Mm -hmm. I'm half in, I'm half out sometimes. Mm -hmm. But comedy, I can just completely turn off Mm -hmm. workhead. And the news, I'm just a citizen gripping my
4: couch. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing with the news for me is, first of all, it makes me feel better. When I watch Rachel, I just feel better. But the second thing is, you know, my kids are not young there anymore. They're twenty-one and sixteen, and I feel like I need to be able to say to them, "This is going to be okay," and here's why. He's going to be brought to justice, and here's how I know. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's the Rachel show. That's what Maddow does. It's what people used to get out of Law and Order. (laughs) (laughs) Now get from
1: Rachel Maddow. That's right. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being here. This is really enjoyable. Please come back soon and talk to us. Thank you.
0: Absolutely wonderful.